This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Monday, October 24th. Thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. Feels like one of these shows where we got a lot to catch up on. We got we get there, mm-hmm. there, there was a lot going on this weekend. Um, internationally speaking, Britain's got a new prime minister. You're like Jespo. You're a little bit behind on this one, buddy. Uh, she was she, she was sort of uh, you know named new prime minister a while ago. Where have you got? No, no. There's another one. Britain's got its third prime minister in less than two months. And and, and if you haven't been paying close attention in the last little bit, you might you might even be in a bit of a, a wind wobble, a bit of a twister trying to wrap your mind around who it is, because there's there's been an ebb and a flow. There have been changes. There have been curveballs. And Rishi Sunak is now the prime minister of Britain at just 42 years of age, the former finance minister. We'll talk to Charles Adler about this in just a little bit. People around the world are going to be trying to trying to figure out who the new British PM is and what does this mean for Britain? What does it mean for the EU? What does it mean for, for, for Western nations, so to speak, like Canada and the United States? Young guy, uh, as mentioned, former finance minister. Uh, he's the first British PM of South Asian descent which uh, makes this especially interesting considering uh, many around the world observing Diwali right now, some of the chatter online uh, celebrating that development. It's also worth noting, John, that that uh, new Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, uh, the family worth a reported 730 million pounds, which translates to uh, approximately a billion and a half dollars, a little bit less than a billion and a half dollars Canadian uh, which would actually make his fortune twice that of King Charles III, which is kind of an interesting talking point as well. There's a lot to wrap our minds around there. Closer to home, two conventions over the weekend in our home province of Alberta, the governing United Conservatives, their first with Premier Danielle Smith, and then, of course, the NDP holding a convention as well. Uh, I want to talk to Chuck about that. Did you hear about this? They passed a motion. They want to see the voting age lowered to 16. I saw that. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about it either. I mean, you put me on the spot here, but uh, I think young minds, especially with the uh, the advent of the internet and everything, they're smarter earlier. They know more about the world earlier. They're more connected. They, they're they up to date on current events. So it could be we'll a good put them idea. behind the wheel of a car at 16. Yeah. You know? Uh, but then I think a lot of people, the older guard, will probably say, "Wow, well, I'm not sure I want a bunch of 16-year-olds <laughs> calling the shots. You know, next thing you know, we're going to have a 17-year-old premier. Oh, what, are you scared? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> maybe you sh- maybe you should campaign a little harder. Maybe you should knock on the doors a little more frequently. Yeah. And then, of course, a uh, I mean, speaking of, of uh, you know, priceless, I mean, you want to start talking big numbers. How about this? Uh, Claude Monet's uh, famed Haystacks masterpiece on display at a German museum targeted by climate activists over the weekend. You, you probably have seen this. This painting uh, valued at $150 million, uh, splashed with liquid mashed potatoes. Which are its own thing, by the way. Maybe we should spend some time talking about instant mashed potatoes. They're better these days than you might think. Do you want to see yeah, this yeah, video? We bring them hiking all the time. Why don't we put this up? Why don't we, should we show the people 
what that are tuning in about. on YouTube, what the painting we're talking about right now. First of all, here we are. So this is, is Claude Monet's uh, classic. Uh, pardon my French. No, no, actually, pardon my actual French. <laughs> <laughs> is it Les Mille? Is that how you pronounce it? Haystacks? Anyway, this thing is, uh, you know, seen as one of his great works. Of course, valued at 96 million pounds. Uh, so about $150 million. I'm blown away, first of all, at the lack of security around these paintings. And as you can see, even in the in the video, when we'll show you when these activists splash it with mashed potatoes, you're, you're going to see one sort of, um, I don't know if it's fair for me to say this, but kind of a meek looking security guard, yeah. like a rather meek looking fellow <laughs> comes around and, and he, he's it's underpaid. Like, yeah, underpaid. <laughs> he's not going to be he not, like, you know, and he, and he kind of goes, uh, excuse me. Well, the damage is done. Uh, there's there's mashed potatoes. They're saying right now, experts are saying not experts, journalists that are reporting on this are saying we're not sure if the painting is behind glass or or, or not. Yet that ha that has yet to be determined. My suspicion is that this painting is behind glass. Mm -hmm. I sure hope it is. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have to get line up an interview with whoever it is that their job to clean mashed potatoes off. You know, prices. I checked paintings. it. I checked it really quick. Again, it's glass, and they're it's, saying it's, it's glass. Not no. touching the oil because that'll right. mess it up, and it's temperature controlled. Okay, but that doesn't also mean that no one should care about this, right? No. And this just takes us back to the conversation uh, that we were having about Van Gogh's paintings. Mm -hmm. What was that, a week ago? Yeah. When Van Gogh's paintings got splashed with tomato soup. So, yeah, we got a lot to catch up on here. Why don't, we'll put this in front of Adler in just a quick second. These interviews are presented by our amazing sponsors, like the family-owned team. Friesen Brothers, you know, has been in the grocery game in the province of Alberta, across the province of Alberta, since 1955. And we want to remind you about a big uh, tradition they have have coming up October 29th and 30th. That's this coming weekend, 29th and 30th, a German-inspired all-you-can-eat Oktoberfest dinner, including Alberta beef roulade, German potato dumplings, uh, sauerkraut, German rice, sourdough buns. I mean, the full salad bar, 25 bucks a person. That's it, all-you-can-eat at all Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores. The dinner runs from 4 to 8 p.m. You can find out more information at Friesen.com slash Oktoberfest. And every week, they're happy to help you as well with the what's for dinner question. The great hassle-free recipes, only the best ingredients. You can check it out on their website at Friesen.com slash what's for dinner. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you that despite the temperature outside, it's always a great day to get into a blizzard, especially since they've got their new fall blizzard collection now they got that cinnamon roll blizzard who doesn't love that and then of course my personal favorite that's the pumpkin pie blizzard feast your eyes on that baby it is the real pumpkin pie chunks the real whipped cream on top a nice sprinkling of nutmeg i mean it captures the holiday season you can find these at the dairy queens in palisades nemeo newcastle westmount and baseline road you make sure you let them know that you're there because of real talk and our friends at local environmental services want to remind you if you're living and working if you're doing business in the prairie provinces in particular alberta and saskatchewan why not keep it local with not just your garbage and recycling but a whole lot more they've got the front load bins for home renos or for fall landscaping work maybe you're trying to get that roofing job done before the snow flies what about water hauling or fencing or vacuum truck services learn who is local by following the link meet their leadership team at localenvironmental.ca don't forget you can request a quote anytime and of course local environmental proudly presenting trash talk every friday right here on the show you can send us your rants your raves your gripes get it off your chest 
to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's our favorite tradition, the best way to wrap up the week. Check that. It's one of our favorite traditions because every Monday we also check in with RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award winner, the Titan of Talk, Charles Adler. Kind enough to join us again as we kick off this podcast week. My man, it's nice to see your face. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, happy Monday. Yeah. You know, some people took a run at you, Charles. When we were yeah. talking about the tomato soup on the Van Gogh paintings, you basically said, get a job, get a life. You didn't like the yeah. demonstration. And now I'm trying to figure out if my feelings have changed a little bit because Uh-oh. I gave I gave the activists, I gave the demonstrators the benefit of the doubt a couple of weeks ago. Whenever never, it never was. do that. <laughs> yeah, but I, never, but, I, never but I said, hey, listen, never. they didn't do a lot of damage to the actual painting. They got everybody's attention. They got us thinking about things like climate activism and cost of living. And now I'm seeing the Monet painting targeted. And, I, and yeah. I'm wondering if this is just going to become a thing where people target masterpieces every week and i think that we might have a bit of a problem on our hands i'm twisted up on this one let, let me give you a a, a, a bigger picture because i i think sometimes we get we get lost in, in minutia there is a war against the mind now it's been around forever but every time you've got a wave of populism and you've got waves of populism now all across uh, the planet you always have an attack on smart people you always have an attack on experts. Yes, you have an attack on, on science. Obviously, I don't have to make the case here. But you have an attack on everyone at the elite level. Now, you and I were probably brought up the same way around the idea of elite sports. Nobody ever told us that there was anything wrong with being an elite athlete like Marc Messier. What is wrong with that? Nothing is wrong with that. But they're attacking elites of all kinds. And artists like Monet, the late great Monet uh, gets attacked. And, and that, that's why I just say, stop humoring these people, stop making excuses, stop apologizing. And for the people way out there on the fringes, please stop slobbering over slobs, punks, hoods, vandals. Vandalism is vandalism. I don't care if that sounds like an elitist term to some people who think that the laws are all bad, they should all be unenforced a la Danielle Smith. Vandalism is not a good thing. Do not teach, please do not teach your children to be vandals. I'm, I'm also just, and I don't even know if we're going to have a productive conversation about this, but I'm and, and uh, you know, people talk about like militarized society and how it's not what we want. And, and, and as a matter of fact, I think, you know, we're talking about Britain a little bit today. We can take a look at their model of the bobbies. Yeah. So many of them unarmed for so many years. I mean, there's been that sort of idea around it, but, but I'm starting to think that art galleries need to beef up security a little bit. People are walking in with mashed potatoes and tomato soup and, and absolutely disgracing priceless works of art. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time making sense of what i'm seeing mashed potatoes should be eaten regularly <laughs> yes they should not be taken to art galleries they should not be used as weapons please do not weaponize the mashed potato yeah hey please. before we bring our conversation closer to home you talked about premier danielle smith she addressed uh, the united conservative party the agm over the weekend her first as premier they've they've elected a slate to the board there's some really interesting dynamics going on but let's talk about this developing story literally as you and i speak charles this story is like an hour old uh britain's got a new pm rishi sunak 42 years of age his family to put it colloquially is loaded he's a former <laughs> finance minister he's the first 
first uh, prime minister of South Asian descent, which is a big deal, and a young fella, 42, as mentioned. Uh, what do we know about this guy early on, and, and, and what's the storyline you're following, aside from the fact that Liz Truss lasted about 44 days in office? There were, there were at least 390 people in Parliament more articulate than Liz Truss. <laughs> Pardon me for favoring elite speakers, but uh, <laughs> the new prime minister is one. The new prime minister is, yes, I, I know, I know uh, he, he's South Asian, and I'm not uh, diminishing that. It, it's important that we now have the first South Asian prime minister, and that'll probably be getting the headline. The headline in my brain is one of the smartest people in the British House is now the prime minister. There's something about that that makes sense. Now, look, Boris Johnson was very smart, but he was whacked. Mm. He was whacked. As, as Danielle Smith, to bring it back to home, to, to Canada, Danielle Smith is very, very smart, but she's been hanging around some wackos, mostly online, for the last number of years, and they've gotten into her head, unfortunately for Alberta, unfortunately for Canada. But the new prime minister of the UK is whip smart, and yes, he happens to be wealthier than the king. and That, that may be a, a first. Uh, Churchill had some money, but don't, don't think he was wealthier than <laughs> And the Windsors. The Windsors have done uh, pretty well over the years, but uh, Rishi's family, uh, even better. He married, by the way, just to make this clear to everyone, uh, Ryan, he married up. Mm. The, the money's coming, just like your family. The, the money's coming in from the missus. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> There's a good rumor to spread. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, appreciate that. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, Happy they're family happy, day. I don't think that I, I, I've never really been in a position where anyone's trying to track the root of our family fortune. It's just, it's 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 modest <laughs> enough, Charles, you know. Some our, of it comes from milk, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, that, right? oh yeah, Some yeah. Some of it well, comes right from the udders. Yes, uh, well, if only I could, we don't need to hash this, so we don't need to litigate this publicly, but I've been telling You're my- Sitting on a milk stool as I, we speak. I've been telling my cousins, yeah, that, that, that maybe I need to get my hands into that milk bucket, if you know what I mean, but uh, but they've been waking up before the sun for about 85 years. Oh, let, no, let, actually let's over be honest, 100, right? so yeah, please, yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, this is real talk. When is the last time members of your family actually had the, the hands on the, on the udders? I mean, this stuff has been mechanized for a number of years. Technology did arrive at the barn. You wouldn't believe the technology. Uh, as a matter of fact, on one of our, our uh, uh, editions of The Leading Edge, you know, we celebrated innovation uh, every Tuesday presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy, of course. And we showed off one of these milking machines. These things are wild. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool, actually, because uh, do, do, we, we don't care if we get off track. Track. We can do whatever we want here. So You're the cows, so the cows come in. The they, they they come in and and uh, the cows are scanned, and so the machine knows which cow it is because each cow is on a bit of a different diet, right? So it dispenses the the food, and as they're eating, the robot, like the 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 nozzle type things, come up to the udders, and they come on in. They start milking the cow. The cow can come through twice a day uh, and and at its own pace whenever it feels like it needs to be milked. It's like a self-directed milking. Now, the cows have figured it out that they get fed and they love getting fed when they come into the machine. So after two times, the machine just shuttles them along. It moves them along. But the farmer is able to get valuable data about the cow while it's in there being scanned. The milk is processed. It is unbelievable technology in those dairy barns. But somebody's still got to scoop the poop, buddy. They don't do everything, yeah. you know. But we still call we still call them farmers, eh? I mean, I I think of them as agribusiness people. Oh yeah. I think yeah. of them as entrepreneurs. I don't I don't you know don't think of the old fashioned farmer with the with the pitchfork and the the straw hat and. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, well, I mean, combines and, uh, combines are about eight hundred grand now, so <laughs> things have changed. You gotta be you gotta be the prime minister of India to afford a combine in Red Deer. Yeah. Hey, I'll find a segue here for us when the right. Al- when Alberta Health Services and the RCMP at the height of the pandemic shut down houses of worship. They shut down churches along with everything else where people could publicly gather. There were farmers that opened up their property for church services outside. Now you see where. I'm going with this, Charles, yeah, and and in an interview with uh, with the uh, independent media outlet Western Standard, Danielle Smith just a couple of days ago uh, made news suggesting that she's trying to find a way to provide amnesty and apology for pastors that were jailed through this. You're taking just a second, but here's Danielle Smith talking to former MLA Derek Fildebrand. When it comes to fines for a pastor, I mean, I have to tell you, the criminal code gives protection for pastors. You are not allowed to interrupt a, a sermon. That's how how seriously we take the um, the, the role of our, our men and women who, who who wear the cloth. And so I, I think that there was an error made in that regard. I'm trying to figure out where that lies. I don't think it lies in the Justice Department. I think that lies in the Health Department. And so there was a whole crew of enforcement officers led by teams of AHS inspectors. And I will, I will, as soon as I can find out the status of those, my intention would be to, would be to, to deliver a blanket amnesty that was inappropriate political decisions that led to that, um, uh, that uh, inappropriate enforcement. And so it seems to me it's a political decision to say, we made a mistake, we're sorry, won't happen again. Danielle Smith, uh, speaking of Western Standard, I got my thoughts. Charles, what are yours? Well, in the state of Alberta, in the United States, I guess the governor can do that. What are we talking about here? Mm. Welcome to Canada, Danielle. I, I know I know, you've been hanging online with all your American right-wing Republican friends, but you're not in Wyoming, you're not in Montana, you're in Alberta, and Alberta is still in Canada, and uh, you're not given amnesties because you're not a governor. But beyond all of that, she keeps saying she's been saying this for forever now that these decisions were all uh, simply uh, about politics many of these decisions of course were made in the province of alberta so was the kenny government excuse me the ucp government ministers in the ucp government pretty much the same as ministers in the ucp government now under danielle smith uh were the ucp ministers doing something horrible by enforcing public health rules did the majority of people in Alberta not want public health rules? Previous Smith, are you going to accuse the majority of people in Alberta of being radical left-wing socialists? Stop this stuff. Stop the madness and start doing your job. I think, and, and I alluded to this when we spoke with her a couple of weeks ago, the, even even the tone of our interview and our conversation immediately, I mean, it started, we were talking about vaccines and, and the reference point was her acceptance speech when she won the leadership. We're starting to go to kind of like vaccines, anti-vax, uh, entertaining the idea of, you know, I saw I saw somebody, there was somebody at the, at the AGM, the United Conservative AGM this weekend wearing a shirt that said something like, you know, there is no spread of disease, let the market decide, like just yeah. these, these sort of ideas that make absolutely no sense whatever and you look at vaccination rates you look at public support for public health measures through a pandemic i can't even i've talked i feel like i'm preaching to the choir the stuff is so obvious it's like 85 to 90 percent of society you're in a room with 10 people nine of them are going to agree with taking the public health measures and 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 you see the tone of the direction the premier's taking here and i don't know that there's a lot of people asking for it or looking for it but hey you know, on, on the geekier side, on the on the brass tacks and, and the behind the scenes mechanics side of how political parties operate too, Charles, 
Well, let's not ignore over the weekend as well. Uh, nine new members elected. There were nine spots up for grabs on the board, on the car- the Conservative Party's board. And this slate uh, known as Take Back Alberta swept the board election. All right. So people can go to yeah. TBA2022.ca if they want to check out their website. I mean, this is who we're talking about. They say, join our movement. Hold elected leaders accountable to the people. Uh, you know, they say they, they squander our taxes, bloated bureaucracy. But when you really get into it, they start talking about things like medical system that works. Well, what does that mean? Well, they want protection of their God-given freedoms. Uh, there's not a lot of scientists referencing God-given freedoms when it comes to dampening the curve or dealing with COVID-19. And I think that Albertans would be right to be hearing alarm bells right now. There's an opportunity for the NDP, but what do you make of what you see? Albertans over the years have been used to a little bit of crazy in government. For whatever reason, and this is what I find crazy about how people in the rest of the country often feel about Alberta. They feel Albertans are not tolerant. Here's my, my, my complaint. Albertans are too tolerant. They are too tolerant of crazy talk. They are too tolerant of people who ordinarily are not crazy, who are made crazy by politics, and who keep promoting and touting and advocating and marketing crazy. Albertans are too tolerant of the crazy. Now, we've always got some crazy stuff going on in politics, right, left, it doesn't matter, in Alberta. But the level of crazy is starting to, you know, cramp my my throat. Um, and, And I would politely suggest to people in the UCP who have Danielle Smith's ear to tone down the crazy. She is no longer running for leadership. She's actually running the province of Alberta. She's a CEO. Behave like a CEO. CEOs don't question math, the law of gravity, the laws of science, the efficacy of vaccines. That's not what CEOs do, unless they're CEOs of, of, of crackpot organizations. Or my pillow. That's not what you're doing right now. My pillow. Yeah, the my pillow CEO. Yeah. Does, but yeah, that's about it. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I encourage people to buy my pillows for two I, years. Well, I gotta am own I, am that I too one. jacked up? Am I too jacked up about this? People are probably going to say you're not jacked up enough. Like I just, I've got this, 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 this love. Okay, okay. So call this sentimental. Call this emotional. I have this love of Albertans. Because I was raised to be loyal, especially to those people who are good to me. No group in this country has been better to me, more generous with me, yes, more tolerant of me than, than Albertans. So it just it just breaks my heart that when we've got so many smart and talented people in Alberta, that we 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 hire somebody, essentially, someone has been hired who does have the the the, the intellect, but for some reason is is, is spoiling it, singeing it. And, and eviscerating it. Mm. And I just I, I, I just don't think it's necessary. And uh, pardon me for bringing up money. This does end up costing Manitoba. This ends up costing Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Canada. It ends up costing billions of dollars. Alberta is one of our most valuable resources of revenue. This isn't me doing the equalization roulette here. But Alberta is vitally important to the country. And it's vitally important that a professional be in the premier's office in Edmonton. Emma's wondering in our live chat, can the premier give me, please, amnesty for that photo radar ticket I received? I should be free to drive as fast as I like. Uh, you know, Jason wonders, good heavens, how did this happen? Anti-public health, a conspiracy theorist in a leadership position. Jill says the premier's just trying to protect her former justice minister. How is it that Matt, we should say the former justice minister. How is it that Matthew Copping, Chandro, 
all in positions of power and her followers aren't yet yelling at the top of their lungs. Her cabinet will swear in today. Uh, by the time most people hear this, they will have sworn in already. It's it's obviously a new look cabinet. Travis Taves, as this show boldly predicted, remains on as Minister of Finance. Brian Jean, Minister of Jobs, Economy, and the recently renamed Charles Northern Development, which is kind of interesting. Shandro back in justice. Jason Copping, the Minister of Health. Uh, Pete Guthrie, the Minister of Energy. Sonia Savage moves to environment and protected areas. Uh, you got Nate Glubish and Casey Madu as the deputy premiers, which is pretty interesting. Rebecca Schultz gets promoted uh, after her leadership campaign to Minister of Municipal Affairs. And there are some other storylines. Devin Dreeshen's back in as Minister of Transportation. Nate Horner of the Horner Political Legacy, the Minister of Agriculture. Uh, but Danielle Smith, again, talking about Alberta Health Services. Everyone's going to pay attention to what a relationship's going to look like with AHS right now. And some pretty strong words invoking the World Economic Forum will provide some clarification on that in just a second but this was Danielle Smith in that same Western Standard interview a couple days ago. I believe that Alberta Health Services is the source of a, a lot of the problems that we've had. They signed a, some kind of, of a partnership with the World Economic Forum uh, right in the middle of, um, of the pandemic. We've got to address that. Why in the world do we have anything to do with the World Economic Forum? That's got to end. Um, we've, they also have the scientific committee that quite frankly didn't look at the whole broad science. They want to make themselves permanent. I saw that in one of your stories. I don't think so. I don't want to have um, a scientific committee advising me that isn't prepared to look at therapeutic options in the middle of a pandemic and throw out the pandemic planning plan. And I I must point out that I've watched that event 201, which is a pandemic planning exercise. And the very first thing they say you should do is to find an effective therapeutic so that as you're seeking a vaccine, you're you're keeping people from dying. So I think that the experts let us down. So I'm I'm not interested in taking any advice from them. We will have um, new leadership on the board. And I don't mean this to disparage any of the board members. When you put a board in place, you're really putting them in place as kind of a caretaker to maintain institutions. This is not an institution I want to maintain as is. So they're will be a removal of that board in the course of uh, time um, and probably sooner rather than later with a reinstatement after we've done our restructuring. So the restructuring is going to come. Okay, so uh, not including By the way, you ran the clip without the necessary accompanying psychedelic music. Yes, yeah. When someone is is speaking like a paranoid, you've got to run psychedelic music from the 70s. That that, that stuff is is horrible. You know, the the scientists that she's not happy with, they're not recommending the therapeutics like the, the, the horse paste or whatever you, you call the stuff that, you know, she yeah, went to the, yeah. the States to get and some of those other, some of those other horse pills. I mean, sorry, uh, science is not horse shit. And if, if, if that is what you want to traffic in, please do it. Once again, as a YouTube host, talk host, whatever you want to call it, leader of, a, of an interest group, um, you know, speak to, to all of the people, all of the 10 or 11% of people in Alberta who want that. But for the rest of us, please, once again, I'm just asking the premier to, to do her job. And WEF, Harper went to the WEF. Jason Kenney went to the WEF. A lot of smart people have gone to the WEF. I'm sorry, Danielle Smith, that you were not invited to the WEF. But to try to pretend that the WEF is out there trying to screw the world and to screw people out of their lives is ridiculous. And, and for God's sake, would someone please remember the thousands of lives people who expired in Alberta because of COVID-19. COVID-19 is not a hoax. Danielle Smith is a hoax. Mm. Uh, probably the most inflammatory comment made by Alberta's premier at the convention w- was the allegation that 
and keep in mind, this is coming from the premier. Staff shortages were manufactured by bad decisions at Alberta Health Services. You you look an ICU nurse or a respiratory therapist or an ER doc in the eye and tell them that the organization's manufacturing staff shortages. I mean, this is this is picking a fight. I do think that it's necessary for people to recognize we're talking about this World Economic Forum story. Like, let's get to the facts, okay? You can find it yourself at albertahealthservices.ca. This story from July of 2020. This is what we're talking about. Uh, global recognition grows for Alberta Health Services, reads the headline. Uh, an invitation to join the WEF's coalition, giving Albertans access to cutting-edge research and resources. Uh, you know who else was invited? Harvard, the Mayo Clinic, yeah. Duke University. Smart people. People might have heard of them. Smart people. But now you've got to shift in a situation. We got smart people in Edmonton and Calgary. We got smart people in Alberta on the same level as Harvard and the Mayo, and we've got a, a premier who's embarrassed about that. What are you embarrassed about? You're embarrassing them. I'm not convinced she's embarrassed. I just think she knows that with very little information and supporting details. I mean, it's the same thing. If you listen to Theo Fleury talk these days, he'll say, he'll, he'll go, oh, you know, the World Economic Forum. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, the World Economic. But if you were actually to press Theo and say, like, who is Klaus Schwab, Theo? Or, like, what is the IMF or the World Economic Forum or the United Nations or all these groups that you invoke and talk about? Talk to us a little bit about them. Give us the facts. Like, base your concerns on something. Give us something to really think about. That's what Real Talk endeavors to do every day, to leave us, to give us our, our, our something to walk with, something to chew on, as we say. And I think that there's a real lack of understanding in what all of this is. It's just like the boogeyman. You invoke the name and people just nod knowingly, uh, despite the fact that they don't really understand what it is or what's going on. Do you know that Theo Fleury once played in the National, National Hockey, Hockey League? League. <laughs> Some people just call it the NHL. Ooh, you know, Gary. Scary. Batman. You know, Gary Bettman. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> You took a shot at, uh, not a shot, but a shot across the bow. You, you, you criticized Premier Scott Moe for this tweet. Uh, he sent it out. This was, uh, what was it? This was on Saturday. Premier Scott Moe says, Checkmeet Singh, federal leader, uh, will be speaking at the Saskatchewan NDP convention this weekend, as he did. Uh, says Premier Moe, I know he'll be talking about standing up for Saskatchewan's resource industries to defend our province's economy and jobs. Just kidding. You replied, uh, you're a premier, Right. What do you take issue with with this one? I mean, this is partisan sniping. How is this one different than anything else? Wait, well, once again, you know, be a premier, uh, Scott Moe. Uh, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, uh, they're meeting in Saskatchewan. They're going to be spending some money in Saskatchewan. Uh, just welcome them. Just have some class. Maybe, why, why come across like a, a petty troll uh, by, you know, taking, taking that shot? What does it really, what does it really get you? It certainly doesn't get you any respect. Well, what's wrong with respect? What's wrong with being cordial? What's wrong with being a host? What's wrong with the NDP having a convention in Saskatchewan? And the premier of Saskatchewan, regardless of what his political striping is, saying, welcome. Welcome to Saskatchewan. Isn't that what most people in Saskatchewan expect a premier to do when people are bringing business to town? But I don't think that that's the playbook anymore. And, 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 and like, don't get me wrong, you know, we can do a whole show on different political parties or different political leanings or different methods of communication. But in particular, with, with conservatives today, I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not issuing judgment. I'm just saying, like, who, you look at who are the power brokers, you look at who, has, who, who carries the biggest bullhorn of small C conservatives around the world, 
And then you look at how they communicate, right? Like, like how does how does Donald Trump communicate? How does Ted Cruz, Marjorie Taylor Greene? Uh, what about Ron DeSantis? What about Pierre Polyev? What about how Jason Kenney oftentimes would tweet uh, or his team led by Brock Harrison and the others? Uh, you, you take a look at I mean, it's that's just the style like it just to me, and it's not just right wingers, but I'm not sure that there's this sort of political idea of like being the diplomat, being the welcome. Yeah. You know, like uh, I, I don't I, I know that it, it plays it. anymore. I think that people I, actually. I saw somebody tweeting. It was a woman tweeting about Danielle Smith over the weekend. She says, "Finally, a premier who has the balls that that globalist <laughs> that the globalist Jason Kenny didn't yeah. have." And I yeah. thought, "Oh yeah. boy, <laughs> it's not what the well, audience, not what the grassroots wants." I don't think. <laughs> class and decorum I, I want to be able to tell the difference between a premier and a vandal a premier and a punk mm. premier and a hug could a premier and a thug i don't want a thug to be the premier of saskatchewan and i'm sure that scott moe in his real life is not a thug but i guess he wants to play one online because as you say that's what uh, that's what's cool right now for for conservatives. Yeah. Let me ask you this in closing. Uh, Janice Irwin, NDP MLA uh, out of Alberta, obviously, was was celebratory over the weekend. She says, unbelievable. She says, the delegates have passed uh, a resolution, a you know, motion to, to lower the voting age in Alberta to 16. What does your gut tell you right away? Should voting age be lowered to 16 provincially, federally? What do you think? I will be protesting at art galleries everywhere until they lower it to 12. Oh, jeez. I thought you were going to say if they lowered it. Would no, you? I, I don't. I don't. You know, I, I would advocate something a little more radical. I think there are people, there are some in Alberta and elsewhere who have gotten to a certain age and gotten to a certain whatever in life where, you know, maybe maybe they shouldn't be voting. Now, I, I realize that a lot of people will, will crash on me, me for this, but I am actually not opposed to the idea of people passing some sort of civics test to prove that they actually know where they're living, to know what planet they're on, to be in touch with reality before they can vote. So I'm not so much into the age, whether you, you know, make it younger, make it older, make it whatever. That, that, that stuff, frankly, bores my, my, my behind off. Uh, but but I, I, I would be for more responsible uh, voting. I'm not saying that we've got to enforce people voting, that you know, it would be against the law not to vote or anything like that. I'm, I'm not there, not there yet. But boy, would I ever love that people at least be able to answer three or four simple questions, a, a very simple quiz before they can vote, because I'm just not interested in, in promoting the idea of knowing absolutely nothing, but just voting anyway. Voting in and of itself is not, to me, that kind of thing. I think it's a responsible thing. It's an important thing. It's a very, very important tool for democracy. And I think that uh, we ought to upgrade voting by asking people to fill out a little quiz. George Jungle's watching right now, says there might be a difference between an honest broker and a political power broker. And I think George is probably right about that. Uh, Charles, you know, I love your ideas, but you know that's never going to fly. But the competence quiz to let people vote. <laughs> I know, I know. Never going to fly. I know it won't. No, you know who will be pissed off is the people that don't know anything but still want to vote. And, and that's yeah. also subjective. People will argue yeah. you and I don't know anything. Uh, it's the same thing as licensing parents. We want to do that. You can't do that either. No, I know. I, I know. But I, the, the idea that someone is voting because I'm voting for the person who's against vaccines. I'm voting for someone who's against the World Economic Forum. I'm voting for someone who's against the NHL. 
Excuse me. It's stupid. It's just plain stupid. And I don't want to promote it. Charles Adler, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award winner with the RTDNA. That's as top shelf as it gets in Canadian storytelling. Joining us our first show every week. Wonderful to see you, my friend. Thanks for doing it. Thanks a lot, brother. Yeah, you got it. Uh, you can follow Charles on Twitter along with, I don't know, 65,000 other people or so at Charles Adler. And, of course, we link to all of our guests' social media handles as best we can every morning before the show. You can follow us on Twitter, by the way, Instagram and TikTok as well, at Real Talk. RJ. Coming up in just a moment, uh, the return of a compelling storyteller. Ophelia Cara joined us on the show uh, quite some time ago, back in August of 2021, talking about her own history, talking about her own reality as a harm reduction activist and an intravenous drug user. Uh, she talked about the importance of supervised consumption services, but things have changed since Ophelia and I last talked. Uh, at that time, there was a, uh, an entity in Calgary known as SafeWorks, and it was getting set to close. And of course, it was concerning a lot of people because of the very real, quite frankly, life and death impact that that closure could have. Well, now across the province, new opioid prescribing regulations are potentially forcing some people who use drugs back to a street supply and that's not good news for anybody so Ophelia and her mom are going to join us in just a second these conversations are presented by our amazing sponsors including the family-owned team at Eden Landscaping this business has been around for more than 20 years bringing outdoor spaces to life it's Mike and his team and of course this is the time of year where they're reminding those that are going to see their outdoor spaces brought to life in the spring that the work starts now not necessarily your work, but Mike and his team eager to get at it. They got to get your real property report. They got to take a look through your general designs, your big ideas, and turn those into actual plans. You're not going to have to hire a landscape architect. You're not going to have to subcontract things out there. A one-stop shop, full project management is a big part of what you get when you invest with Eden Landscaping. You can check out their portfolio, learn more about what they can do with lighting and water features, excavation, outdoor kitchens, planting, removal, you name it, at landscapeedmonton.ca. Hey, if 2023 is going to be a year of new opportunity for you, you're convinced that 2023, you want to hit the ground running and do something special, it could start today at Canada's Open University. That's Athabasca University. Their website, super easy to navigate at athabascau.ca. I know you wouldn't expect anything less from an online entity like Athabasca University. World-class accredited online programs and courses offering you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. Check out the website, athabascau.ca, to learn more about it. You know, tens of thousands of students across Canada have launched careers with AU, plus the research they're doing there, unbelievable, almost underrated, I'd say. Your career, your next step could start today at athabascau.ca. And our friends at Apex Automation are putting out the call for Canada's most talented engineers, but not just any engineer. You got to value 
quality relationships with the clients. You got to want to give people back their time and maybe keep a little more time for yourself and your family as well. That's all part of the ethos that drives Apex Automation. It's why they're opening new locations across Western Canada and into the United States so their teams can be closer to their clients, so their clients don't have to wait to ensure that things are done on time every time. At apexautomation.ca, you can view their partners and certifications, learn more about what they're doing in electrical and control panel design, drafting services, process engineering, electrical and instrumentation engineering. Their team has grown rapidly over the past few years because more and more professional engineers are seeing the value of partnering with Apex Automation via Apex Automation. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome back Ophelia Cara to the show. Uh, She joined us uh, first in, uh, well, it was last summer, as a matter of fact, more than a year ago. And uh, she told us bravely about her story, uh, her story of of advocating for harm reduction measures, uh, but also her personal history and her reality. She's on a life-saving prescription of hydromorphone. Uh, Here's the deal, though. This prescription may be rendered inaccessible uh, due to new legislation released by the Alberta government. So we thought it was about time for a follow-up. She's joined this morning by her mom, Mariana, uh, who moved to Canada from Hungary, says she loves her daughter unconditionally, says the last two and a half years have been very difficult, but Mariana's hoping that soon the family will be able to put it behind them. And it's a real pleasure to welcome you both to the show this morning. Ophelia, it's nice to see your face again. Uh, real, real talkers responded big time when you joined us in August of 2021 to tell your story. How have things changed from last August to today? Well, um, up until this new legislation was announced, there were actually a lot of very positive changes that I had been making. For instance, I don't know if you remember, but when I was first on your show, I was still taking five or six shots per day, right? Mm, I believe so, yeah. I'm now taking three. I have been like gradually, you know, like pushing shots together here and there and pushing myself harder to wait longer in between taking a dose. So now I'm taking three per day. Um. Additionally, I have been paying off some debt that I owe. I'm almost finished with doing that. Um, We got a dog. So now my mom and I always walk the dog together. It's a lot of fun. Um, There's just a lot of really positive changes that I've been making. I actually haven't had a dose increase since last February, and I still don't need one because of, you know, how hard I push myself in between shots. Like a lot of people who are on similar substances to me, similar medications, they will take a dose like every hour or every two hours. And it has taken a lot of hard work on my part to get to the point where I can be taking, you know, one at nine, one at six, and then one at like five in the morning whenever I wake up Mm. and then go back to sleep after. Um, additionally, I have switched from vaping like 20 milligrams to a 10 milligram bottle. And I actually don't inhale anymore. Soon I'm going to be quitting vaping altogether. 
Uh, to, to be clear, are we talking about nicotine with the vaping? Yeah, nicotine. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I want to encourage both of you to speak freely here. You know, mom, if you want to jump in, uh, then, then please do as well. And I've got a lot of questions for you. But Ophelia, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I think one of the, the, the more remarkable moments of our previous conversation last summer, um, I, I never want to approach these types of conversations from any point of like making assumptions of like, when are you going to quit or like imposing some perspective on somebody or moralizing something? We're here to better understand your reality. We're here to, to better understand both your picture and the bigger picture of harm reduction of people who are using drugs in, in Alberta, Western Canada and across the country. I, I do remember asking you if, if you had a desire to quit and you basically looked into the camera and said no. And you told us why. Um, now you're dialing things back. Now you're describing these as very positive changes in your life. What is it that's prompted those changes? What's been the most significant factor? Well, the most significant factor to me is that I want to live a happy, healthy, and safe life. Like, in my opinion, that's what recovery is. Recovery is making decisions that respect your well-being, that respect the people around you, um, that basically show that you care about yourself and the world that you're living in. In my opinion, that's what recovery is. And, you know, maybe one day um, I will get sober. Maybe one day I won't. I don't know what the future holds. I know that my mom would love to see me completely sober. But what's most important to me is that whether I'm on my medication or not, that I am able to live a high quality of life where I am happy to be here and where I care about my own safety. That's what's most important to me. Mariana, are these conversations, I mean, these are public conversations. Thousands of people are going to hear this. I can tell you right now it's going to have a big impact on people. But but is this a difficult thing for you to do? Um, yes, it is very difficult because um you know i love your shirt by the way ryan and i'm so honored to be on your show it's an honor to have you here (laughs) so it is difficult because um raising her um i saw so much potentials in her and uh, i would like her to fulfill those potentials and the past two and a half years were a great halt in that and not just a halt but so so scary before she was on this program i was genuinely scared for her life i witnessed overdoses and ambulance and collected her from hospitals and and that's that's heartbreaking and ever since she's on this program at least that stopped and she's stable and she is using this medication that we call a medication um, safely. It's the same dose, same strength. There is no chance to accidentally take too much. There is no chance to come across with something that's laced with toxins, fentanyl, whatever. I don't have to worry about which hospital to go to collect her after she was taken there, overdosed. Um, I trust her and I know that she is doing her best to, to come to a point where 
where uh, she can start her adult life. Can I say something just very directly? Um, you know, I've, I've interviewed people through the course of my career who use drugs, and I have interviewed parents who have lost beloved children uh, due to drug poisoning. What makes this particularly remarkable, and it's washing over me in waves as we're talking, is that both of you are here alive talking together. And we don't often experience that. As members of the general public seeking to understand the the opioid crisis in Canada, to understand harm reduction measures, to understand the healthcare policies and the political mechanisms at play here, we very rarely hear from someone who is currently using drugs or on a program like you are, Ophelia, and their parent. And it's very significant that both of you are talking to us today, and I appreciate it. Ophelia, can, can you help us understand, like when we talk about, so you talk about your life-saving prescription of hydromorphone. Uh, for, for, for people that aren't necessarily up to speed, what is that replacing? Is it replacing heroin? Is it replacing fentanyl? What, what is it? How is it different? Is this what people refer to as a so-called safe supply? And what's threatening it? Um, it is replacing fentanyl for me. Um, because nowadays, like with street supply, you can't really find heroin anymore. Like pretty much everything that you get is going to be things like fentanyl, car fentanyl, maybe benzos mixed in there as well. Um, sometimes substances are even, you know, kind of expanded with something like powdered milk even. So what you're getting as far as street supply goes nowadays, it's not really heroin. There might be like some percentage of diacetylmorphine in it, but it's mostly fentanyl. Um, And for me, that's kind of what it's replacing, because as I mentioned last time I was on the show that I did try everything I could to get sober. I spent quite a few months completely off of drugs. And even like on the last week that I was completely sober, I spent every single night in the hospital because of paranoia and I think some delusions that I was starting to have um, due to like mental health crises, basically. Uh, I also tried having a prescription for Suboxone and honestly, I never, ever, ever, ever want to go back onto fentanyl for as long as I live, but I feel the exact same way about Suboxone. I hope I never, ever have Suboxone in my system ever again, because for me, and I recognize that it works really well for a lot of people, that's great. But for me, I was throwing up around the clock. I couldn't keep any food down. I was severely depressed, had a lot of suicidal ideations. I started engaging in a lot of risk-taking behaviors, um, I felt very, very out of it. I felt like I was kind of just watching my life instead of actually living it. I had headaches. I couldn't sleep properly. I couldn't sleep enough. So Suboxone, Methadone, those kinds of medications really do not affect me well. And that's a big part of why I wasn't able to be stabilized on them. Not only because when I'm sober, I get very, very severe migraines very severe pains, both physical and mental. But it's also because medications like Suboxone just do not affect me well. 
We've got a, a, an audience member here that's uh, Karen suggests everybody give mums stop the harm a follow says it puts faces and names to the drug poisoning crisis. Uh, they, they've been wonderful friends of this show and we're big supporters of theirs. Um, you know, Mariana, here you are. I mean, this is your real life. Right. From from your perspective, from your perspective as as a mom, um, you know, we take a look at obviously, you know, provincial governments administer health care. This provincial government, not just under Premier Smith, but before her under Premier Kenny as well, has placed uh, a great uh, I mean, a great deal of of focus. And and its investment has been on on treatment, on detox, on facilities where people can check in and try to get off drugs, so to speak, or get off alcohol or whatever it is, most notably injectable drugs. Uh, but they have not supported. In in fact, they have pulled back support financially and otherwise from things like supervised consumption services in Calgary and in Lethbridge and in Edmonton and elsewhere. As a mom, as somebody who is, has been forced to educate herself on this, as somebody who has a far more intimate understanding of this than the average citizen, what would mark effective, empathetic treatment or policy Uh, funded by government what would you like to see to help your daughter and to help the thousands of other people uh, that this impacts you know we have heard so many times over the past two and a half years that let's follow the science follow the data let's just listen to the experts what they read from the data what works and That works for mental health and addiction as well. Why don't we follow the data? Why don't we see how much it works to force addicts into treatments if they don't want to go? They they either run away or they halfway the program, finish the program, get out of it and relapse. Why is that? Why is nobody checking that data how come how come we don't follow the science on this why don't we listen to experts addiction experts counselors who actually understand how hard it is to quit what causes people to get addicted to drugs what are they running away from what would be a solution that is based on actual scientific experiments, something that psychologist uh, counselors can can actually underline that, yes, this is why it's not working to, to force people to, to rehabs because of this and this and that. And that let's work on that. Not just a, a political statement that, well, because of the conservatives decided that we're going to corral everyone into a rehab and and if they don't work well, oh well, you know what? To to I don't I love my daughter so much. I she gets my full support, and I, but I don't want her to be a number on that statistics. That's just one more overdose death. Too bad, unfortunate. Poor mom, she lost her daughter. I don't want that. I want her to to live. Do you feel like you're fighting for your daughter's life every day? Every day. I would do anything to keep her alive. If it if she's gonna be on this on this medication forever, so be it. But be alive. And that's the thing too. Like ever since getting this prescription, her and I have gotten so much closer. Because even when I was growing up, she even told me at one point that she thought I hated her when I was a kid. She was I, I didn't. I hated myself. <laughs> she was angry and defiant and just miserable as a teenager. Mm-hmm. 
And now like whenever she's at home, I spend as much time with her as I can because I just, I love being around her. I love being like, this is, this is my family here. And it's not particularly big. Like it's me, my mom, our cats, the dog, but I love it. I really, really value having that, but it's hard to have good relationships with the people around you when you're struggling with mental illness, when you're not happy, when you hate yourself. And ever since getting on this prescription, we are so much closer now. And it's just, it makes me so happy. Ophelia, you want to live, right? Yeah, I do. You want to grow Honestly, old? Like, with this new legislation, um, and the gist of what the new legislation is, is that they are worried about diversion. They are worried about people getting these prescriptions and selling them on the street. Um, so what they have decided is that doctors will no longer be allowed to give prescriptions like this. And instead to take a prescription like this one, you have to go down to the clinic, which is in downtown Calgary. It is about an hour and a half to a two hour transit ride for me. So an hour and a half to two hours there, and then another hour and a half to two hours to get back. Doing that three times a day, that's 12 hours per day. Mm. The clinic also isn't even open for all of my shots. So this just makes it completely inaccessible. So what's the me. alternative? What's the, what's the potential alternative? The potential alternative would be go back onto fentanyl, get unregulated, hydromorphone from like, you know, various less than trustworthy sources, things like that. And I am utterly terrified. I, I don't want to do me that. Me too. Me too. I'm very scared. I have what happens next week. I have put in so much work to get to the point where I'm at. And honestly, before I got my prescription, the thought of dying didn't really bother me. Like I Growing up as mentally ill as I did, I didn't even want to live to 18. I tried to kill myself so many times. But ever since getting my prescription, I, I've really fallen in love with life. I don't know a better way to put it. I want to live a long life. I want to spend as much time with my mom as I can. I want to go back to school once I finish paying off my debts. Like I just, I love living. I wake up every morning excited for whatever day I have ahead of me. I am so, so happy to be here. And that's been a change that's happened ever since getting my prescription. So next week, these changes go into effect. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you just a plain question. The, the average person or some people might be listening to you and say, okay, well you, you want to live, you value your relationship with your mom. You have a bright future ahead of you. You're on the right track. So, so why don't you just quit injecting drugs? Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just go into treatment? If, Help these people if it understand. Was so, Ryan, if it was so easy, then there, there wouldn't be a crisis right now. Additionally, the quality of life that I lead now is higher than the quality of life that I have ever had before. I don't get debilitating migraines anymore. I don't get various other debilitating pains. I don't have mental pains now. Like growing up, my mom can attest to this, I was miserable. I was so angry all the time because of how unhappy I was. 
for the first 19 years of my life, I didn't even know what it felt like to be happy. I knew what it felt like to be angry. I knew what it felt like to be sad. I used to get these like waves of misery that would just wash over me when I wasn't even expecting it for no reason. But my brain just doesn't release chemicals the way that it's supposed to. So, you know, maybe one day I will be ready to quit taking my medication. But right now I'm just not ready. And for getting sober, it has to be something that you are ready to do, that you decide to do for yourself. Just like with my medication, with my prescription, I made the decision that, you know, right now I don't think that getting sober is the right move for me, but I want to see if there's a middle ground, if I can make this safer. And it took a lot of hard work. There have been times where I have been waiting for hours in withdrawal because it's not time to take my next dose yet. And that's the thing too. If, if I, if I go into withdrawal and it's not time for my next dose, I will wait until it's time. I never take it early, not even 10 seconds early because it's important to me that I take it at the right time that I'm being responsible and careful with it. And my doctor, even she told me that she has written like a really, really long document going over all of the objective and subjective evidence that right now, this is what I need because there is so much evidence. I have clean drug tests going back throughout my entire prescription. I haven't had a single overdose. I haven't had hospital admissions. I always pick it up on time. Like there are, there's so much, I haven't even gone over all the evidence because to go over all of the evidence that this is what I need right now, it would take hours and the government just doesn't care. You know, Ryan, it feels the, like they don't care. The, the, the dose that she picks up today from the pharmacy is for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it's in her room in that vial waiting for the time that she takes it. So that's, self-discipline that's something show that shows that she can handle this i have no like i I don't hold it for her um it's it's totally under her control and then she's so responsibly dosing herself and saving the tomorrow's dosage for tomorrow yeah Uh, so we're talking about changes to no go ahead ophelia oh it's just another thing that i wanted to mention is that I am willing to compromise with the government here. Like, I understand that, you know, they're worried about diversion. And according to them, like the majority of people can be stabilized on Suboxone, according to Eric Engler. But again, the majority of people is not all people. Like, I am one of those cases that I have tried to take Suboxone and it just, it didn't work. Like, it made me so sick all the time. And I I don't want to go back to that. I cannot go back to that. I have put in so much work to get to the point where I'm at and my quality of life is higher than it's ever been. But I am willing to compromise. Like I would be willing to go into the clinic twice a week, for example, and do a drug test. Because if I do a drug test twice a week, then something like fentanyl or hydromorphone or anything, it wouldn't have time to leave my system doing it twice a week. 
So if I did a drug test twice a week, there would be no way that I could get away with either like not taking my hydromorphone and selling it or taking fentanyl and topping up anything like that. I am willing to do that to prove that this is the only thing that I am on. I would also be willing to video chat with a nurse, for instance, while I'm taking my medication so that the nurse can watch me preparing it and watch me being the one who takes it. Even right now, whenever I'm taking a shot, I always call NORS every single time. I am never actually alone when I take a shot. But any compromise, I would be willing to take. The only thing is, is that with this new legislation, it makes my prescription absolutely impossible to access because the clinic isn't open for all of my doses. And if I'm spending 12 hours per day on public transit, I would never get anything done. I would also have to walk by certain areas downtown that are not safe for me to be in. Like, it's just, it makes it impossible. People, I cannot I think spend if 12 hours a day on transit. I can't do it. You talk to anybody that's involved, and this isn't just harm reduction. I'm not I'm not talking about addiction. I'm not talking necessarily. I mean, you, you want to talk about impacting people's behavior uh, in any way, and you have to remove the barriers. Some barriers, if something distracts someone for five seconds, if a barrier pops up in the way, it, you, you got to remove the barriers. Anybody knows that. Anybody that works in harm reduction will tell you that. And you're talking, I mean, first of all, Ophelia, you're, I mean, first of all, there's an argument going on in our live chat right now about who's the bigger rock star, Ophelia or her mom. I don't know. But both of you are being deemed to be rock stars today. Um, I've got a, a bang on note here from Craig, who says, with an absolutely beautiful and heartbreaking interview, Michael says, I will be writing my MLA today. I think that it's ridiculous that, that the changes to this regulations are going down. So let me ask you this in closing, both of you, uh, Mariana, you first. Uh, if you had the ear, if you had an opportunity to sit down with, with Minister Copping, Alberta's new health minister, and uh, Alberta's new premier, Danielle Smith, what would be your straight-up, plain, eye-to-eye message to them? My message to them that I would like to keep my daughter safe and alive until the time comes when she can move on and build a, a good life for herself. I would like to, they, are, they have families, they have children. I know they do. They have nieces, cousins, young, young adults who are trying to find their space in life. And they must understand that our children are everything to us. And and we would do parents, we would do anything to keep our children safe. Please don't push her back on the street. It's, you know what? Taking street drugs are not safe. It's like a Russian roulette. Which syringe will kill you? Because one will. You don't know which, which little packet of fentanyl is, poison, will, is poisoned and will push you over and nobody can bring you back. Not, there is not, not always a possibility to naloxone someone and eventually one of those syringes will kill the addicts. Addiction is ha mental health. It's an illness. It seems to me that it's at this point, it's uncurable, but manageable. Mm. So please help us 
manage this illness until maybe there is a cure in the future. Maybe there won't be. Maybe she will get off of it or not. But at least she's alive now. I want to keep it that way. Ophelia, last word to you, my friend. Well, I would tell them to listen to the doctors who are addiction experts because my own doctor, she is almost just as terrified as me and my mom are. I am so, 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 so terrified. I cannot overstate it. I can literally feel it in my chest, how scared I am for the end of the month. And it just, I wish that they knew how this makes me feel that I have put in so much work to get to the point that I'm at. Like I even use bacteriosteric injection solution with my shots instead of regular water. I sanitize and sterilize my arm before I take a dose. I do everything I can to make sure that I'm being safe and it's worked. I haven't had any overdoses. I haven't had any infections. I, I don't even go into withdrawal in between shots now. I am more and more improving every day. I'm paying off my debt. I want to go back to school. I love to cross stitch with my mom in the evenings. And I wish that they knew that behind my prescription, that there is a person that this is what they're doing to a person. I mean, even my cat, she's lying on my lap right now. I, I'm a person and it feels like they don't think of me that way. It feels like they just think of me as an addict. And I wish that I could beg them to just look at my chart, to look at all of the evidence that this is helpful to me right now. And I just wish that they cared because it really feels like they don't care. It feels like I can talk about this until I am blue in the face. I can go on and on and on about all of the ways that this helps me. Like I was on track to even quit nicotine, but it feels like they don't care. I am actually sending a letter. It's already written. I just have to send it to Minister Copping and Mike Ellis and probably um, Premier Smith. Uh, and uh, maybe they will read it before it lands up in the paper basket. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell and you. I mean, yeah, go ahead. I just honestly, if it would help, I would beg them on my hands and knees for an exemption because I don't I don't want to go back to fentanyl. I don't want to go back to unregulated markets. I don't want to die. I want to know what I am taking. And if, if, if it would help, I would beg them on my hands and knees to just compromise with me here, like to give me an exemption from this legislation, but say I have to come in twice a week to do a drug test. That would be perfect because coming in twice a week, that is actually doable. Spending 12 hours a day on public transit when the clinic isn't even open for some of my doses, that is not doable. That's just not feasible. It can't be done. And I just wish that I could have like five minutes with them even to beg them to compromise with me. Well, this interview is going to be all over the place. Uh, and, 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 and I have no doubt this is going to get people motivated 
and get people talking. Um, when, you. when you start talking about numbers for whatever reason, you know, we say how many thousands of Canadians died from COVID-19? How many thousands of Canadians died from drug poisoning? How many? Th- and, and, and I won't say nobody cares because people care. But when you start saying, let me introduce you to Ophelia Cara, right? Let me introduce you to her mom, right? Let me show you who these people are and what makes them tick. Let us remind one another of our humanity, of, of, yeah. our, of, of, of our empathy that is within, of our obligation to look after our fellow citizens or to provide harm reduction measures whenever possible. Yeah. This is a and crisis. Also, just one last thing. Um, some things that my doctor mentioned that would be helpful. I wrote it down, so I'm going to make sure I get the writing. Um, either writing to MLAs as... I think you said his name was Michael mentioned. That's right. Writing to MLAs is fantastic. Um, there's also patient feedback forms on albertahealthservices.com, um, complaint or care concerns. Um, if anyone has a couple minutes and could fill out a patient feedback form saying that, you know, this new legislation is harmful and, you know, just expressing concern about what the results are going to be, that would also be really, really helpful. Anything that anyone can do to get it out there that you care. I am so touched that people are like willing to speak out for me. I have had people who I talk to in NORS who are writing letters on my behalf and like anything that anyone does to basically tell the government that the population cares about this issue is huge, is really, really important. And I know it's not lost on you, Ophelia, that you today are speaking on behalf of many, many people who for different reasons uh, don't have the ability to speak for or advocate for themselves. And that's a big deal. This isn't just about you. Yeah. You know, Ryan, those thousands of overdose deaths, those are people. And most of those deaths could have been avoided with a little care and understanding and compassion. They didn't have to die. Yeah. Not like that. That is, uh, I just, I don't mean to come across like I'm just breezing over what you just said. That's a, that's a, that's a, a a reality that we must grapple with. Uh, Mariana, what yeah. could we do? What could we have done as a yeah. society to prevent those deaths of human beings, of human lives uh, that were lost in many circumstances uh, that could have been prevented? Um, I want to recommend that people check out a couple of different resources, and there are many. Ophelia gave you a, a great assignment. You can go fill out the patient feedback form. I would suggest that that may be even more. you have a more- few minutes, I would really, really, really appreciate it. I cannot put into words how much I would appreciate that. And, and, and I'm not kidding. I, I hate to say I'm not convinced that writing your MLA is effective. I, I think you want to write the health minister. You want to write the premier. Um, you know, d- demand action, evidence-based action from this government. I would also mm-hmm. suggest if you're a business owner interested in knowing what could we do about this, you can check out eachandevery.org. Uh, they're doing amazing advocacy. And of course, Mums Stop the Harm was one that we talked about earlier at mumsstoptheharm.com. I dare you to visit that website and try not to be moved 
uh, by those stories, you will find motivation, uh, and I think in many circumstances, enlightenment as well. Uh, Ophelia Cara, uh, Mariana Balog, thank you so much for joining us. Can I just say one last thing? Yeah, of course you can. Um, Because you said that you're not sure whether like writing MLAs is like effective. I don't mean to put it that way. I, I think it is. I think writing MLAs, writing premieres, submitting feedback, I think all of that is really effective because right now, the reason that the government doesn't care, the reason that they act like they doesn't like they don't care, the reason that they can make legislation like this is because they believe that the general population doesn't care. Yeah. So writing anyone, talking to anyone, make noise and saying that we care that, you know, we don't want this to happen. That is so helpful because if the government knows that it's that it's citizenship cares, that it's population cares, then that is going to make a difference. You're so right. So anything that anyone is willing to do is amazing. My friends, just telling the government, I care. We're going to make a big difference. We're going to walk with this uh, for a long time. It's impossible to not be impacted by conversations like this, by people like you. Uh, we're sending both of you much love today. Thank you for doing this interview. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It was wonderful to be back. Thank you. <sighs> Doors always open, by the way. Um, wow. How are you going to process what you just heard, Real Talkers? I don't mean to say, I'm glad Ophelia called me out on that. I don't mean to say you shouldn't email your MLA. I'm just saying that sometimes I know that they get a lot of email. I was email. like, he's going he's to walk that back. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't mean, and I'm glad she called me out on that. I don't mean don't email them. I'm just saying, if you want to run it up, go the chain, higher. Email the health minister, email the yeah. premier, get on your social media, mm-hmm. make a donation to these these organizations. Like, 100%. But, but yes, of course, email your MLA. Mm-hmm. Ophelia is like, just on a whole other level the whole Uh, time watching that too i'm just thinking it's one of my opinions i've had i think my entire life is that you know (laughs) like drug addiction i mean it's the same as alcohol we need to regulate drugs we need to give people safe drugs but we also need to transition them if they want to get off them i know a woman right now a young woman who is on the other side of it so does my wife another woman uh they both were on the street in the shadows taking drugs that were dangerous then they transitioned to you know either safe injection or methadone or stuff like that and now they're both in treatment they both look incredible but yeah. like i i really got choked up watching her talk about how people just a lot of people don't care they don't care that drug addicts no, are use, dying. They use uh, derogatory and dismissive slurs to describe people who use drugs. Um, they, they've, you know, the average person—not the average person, but pe- but people who legitimately don't care—have convinced themselves that that these members of society, that these humans, don't matter. Would be better off dead. They'd be better off dead. They don't Gone. matter. They don't want to improve their lives. They don't want to get better. So what's it? You know, unless that's a fact. Unless you're someone like me, or I'm sure you do. We all know someone who. At, least has struggled with alcohol addiction or drug addiction like you want them gone like that's it they made a mistake they've they've been you know down in the dumps and that's it i love it that this conversation these interviews force us uh to reconcile where we're at it forces us to justify the position that we've taken either quietly or publicly 
on this. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I bet you there's one or two people out here that feel like this interview was speaking specifically to them. We want to hear from you. And our coverage, the quality of it, the depth of it uh, is assisted by your correspondence with this show. In just a second, we're going to meet two remarkable people. A teacher that's just won a Prime Minister's Teaching Award for Excellence. That's coming up in one minute. These conversations are presented by sponsors like Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They want us to remind you that this is the time of year we're going to start thinking about getting ready for winter it's going to be here before you know it the new dodge durango up to fifty five hundred dollars in total discounts available at sherwood and st albert dodge you can shop their lineup in person or online you can chat directly with a member of their sales team on the web and of course their service team is ready to ensure that the relationship doesn't stop with the sale as a matter of fact that's where it begins they're proud of their community connections and Alberta's best selection of the Ram 1500 pickup. They can share their inventory between dealerships, meaning you find exactly what you want from Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Oh, and a big heads up, November 3rd is the deadline for you to get tickets. 30 years of life-changing wins with the Covenant Foundation Lottery, and this year a chance for you to live in life-changing luxury, a $2.2 million dream home. It comes fully furnished, which is just that extra cherry on top. Of course, there's a 50-50 as part of this lottery. That means someone's going to win well over a half a million dollars, plus trips and other getaways. Who wants to go to Turks and Caicos? Who wants to win an Alfa Romeo? Yes, these are rhetorical questions. Your ticket purchase ensures that the Misericordia and Grey Nuns hospitals have the resources they need to continue providing innovative care for the people who need it the most, you can get your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Well, every Monday, our first show of every week, thanks to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. They, they give us a reason, uh, you know, a prompting, if you will, to celebrate something that, that fills our bucket. A story of someone paying it forward. A story of someone achieving or excelling in a way that inspires the rest of us. Now, typically, we'd go to a, a viewer email or a story. We'd tell you a bit about it, but this morning's is going to be a little bit different in this edition of Positive Reflections, presented by Kubi Energy. Robert Tomofichuk is uh, the recipient of the 2022 Prime Minister's Award for Teaching Excellence in STEM. Yeah, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And he's out at New Murnam School and the Murnam Outreach and Homeschool Center. Well, thanks to Danielle Erickson, who's the principal at New Mernham School, Robert's story wound up on our radar. And if you're watching this on YouTube and you're going, hang on a second, these look like live shots. These don't look like photos. I'm thrilled to let you know that Principal Erickson and Robert Tomofichuk, winner of the PM's Award, no big deal, are joining us live this morning for a very special edition of Positive Reflections. Hey, welcome to the both of you. Robert, you must be absolutely thrilled. Judging by the smile smeared across your face, I think it's a safe assumption. When did you find out you were winning this award? Oh, goodness. Uh, it was back in, um, in August um, actually, it was a little bit before then, but uh, I was uh, helping out at a friend's place and I, I got a phone call and it says, um, hey, this, this is um, in the prime minister's office. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> really, you get set back. 
Very, very cool. Now, now, people that are watching this, uh, there's a golf. There's a big school bus behind you, and there's a golf cart. Is this the golf cart that I've watched the YouTube video about at NewMernumSchool.ca? Is this the one? It, absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's um, uh, zero emissions renewable energy vehicle. So essentially, um, the school bought a fleet of electric golf carts, and they were they were rough shape, uh, destined for the landfill, uh, all corroded, uh, mechanically uh, not not good shape. And essentially, the kids do uh, like a frame up restoration, rebuild the parts, and then retrofit it with a uh, solar panel. And uh, if you leave it outside, you don't have to uh, like charge those things. So uh, it's, it's been a success case for us. Very cool. Now, now, principal, uh, was this your nomination, or, how, or do we know how the award came about? I mean, I know you're sure proud of this guy. You're the one that reached out to us and told us the story. But but did you have any involvement in the nomination here? I did actually. Um, we and we are very proud of Mr. T. Uh, he's uh, Mr. T is awesome. Our kids say all the time. Uh, it was actually our principal last year, Mrs. Adrian Owen, was the one that began the uh, nomination process for him. Uh, it took. I did also write a letter uh, in support of Mr. T. Uh, getting this award along with uh, some students and some parents, I believe, also wrote letters. Uh, so it's it's actually quite an involved process uh, in order to get to get Mr. T uh, nominated, but uh, but a an award that was that was well deserved. So cool. So so Mr. T, I love that. What a cool nickname. So this is this is something though that you you strike me as going I mean I'm not a teacher. I don't really understand how it all works, but I'm taking a look at the website newmernumschool.ca/project and and people can view it themselves and you you strike me as a guy that that goes a bit of uh, above and beyond, so to speak. You got these beautiful YouTube videos. You you've got an archive of all of the energy grant projects. So you've been running these at least 6 years in a row, right? A sustainable greenhouse, designing renewable energy systems, receiving the Energy Efficiency Champion Award, reducing carbon footprints. Uh, take us into this. How do you choose the project? What what involvement do the kids have? Obviously a big one. And and what's the payoff? What, what, what have you seen from these young students? Yeah, absolutely. So it started six years ago with uh, an organization called uh, Inside Education. And uh, they have something called an A-plus for energy grant. And it's, it's um, an opportunity where you apply and um, they choose uh, probably about uh, 15 to 20 applications across the province. And it's, it deals with energy and uh, environmental sustainability. So we come up with an idea, you know, in the ideal world, uh, it, it'd be student uh, generate ideas in the last couple of years. It, it has been that way, but we come up with an idea and it's usually a, a very challenging problem. And uh, you know you're onto a good project when you ask the question to an adult and they don't have the answer. And <laughs> those kids are, are amazing. They, they go at these things and uh, um, that's kind of the heart with, with this, this award. Like it was, you know, uh, based with science, technology, engineering, math. And it's the project-based work that's so incredibly important for it because uh, it's, it's um, inquiry-based, student-led, and there, there's uh, outcomes that actually, you know, are, are you know, kind of real-life uh, changing things too. So just like the renewable energy vehicle, when we first started, I, I thought, you know, okay, maybe we'll add a solar panel onto a golf cart. It might extend the range. And that's not the case. Like if you leave these things outside, essentially, um, you know, depending on how many uh, kilometers you're making with it, it is a renewable energy vehicle. And uh, we, we use it lots around school grounds. Um, the village of Murnum is a really, really tiny place. Sometimes we we'll go get the mail, uh, pick up some parcels. Uh, it's, it's awesome. 
uh, principal, I wanted to, to to just read a bit of your pitch here, your email, because uh, it just jumped out. Like I was like, I can't ignore. It. I think I responded to you like in ten seconds. Um, but you you sent us a link to your website, your school's website, NewmernumSchool.ca, and you said we do things differently here. Uh, you said I decided to promote Mr. T and his accomplishments because his story is actually the story of a small rural school with big, hairy, audacious goals to change the fabric of our community through education. Can we talk about that a bit? Can we talk about the ideology or the ethos that drives this special place? Yeah, so um, this is actually my eighth year teaching here in Murnham, and uh, and and there's no there's no place quite like it here. Uh, the staff, Mr. T is is the tip of the iceberg. The staff here are amazing, uh, and everyone is is really working collaboratively together to give our students the most experiences the best opportunities that we can uh, in in a in a small community uh, and so these projects were a way for us to be able to first of all apply for some grant money uh, to be able to do some pretty big amazing things uh, and then and then everything just sort of has been snowballing after that because one project becomes two two projects becomes well we could extend this project and do this other thing and and uh, and you know then partnerships start coming uh, from from members of the community to provide more opportunities for our kids to be able to do these these project-based work um, and and a common question that I got when I first started teaching here and we sort of first started doing these projects was people asked, well, okay, that's well and good that you have these shop projects, but when do you actually teach kids the curriculum? I said, well, what better way to learn how to build a circuit than to hook up a solar panel to a battery on a golf cart? Like that's, that that's learning how electricity works and learning the difference between DC and AC current, which is full in the grade nine curriculum for science. We've got math curriculum pieces, especially in our tiny home that you can see behind Mr. T. Uh, the math classes have come out um, and taken, you know, measurements of the square footage of the bus so that they could order the flooring that went in the bus. Um, they're, they're looking at how to, you know, how to maximize the space available so they can have a bed and a bathroom and a, and a kitchen of sorts in, in the tiny home. And I mean, there's, there's just so much learning and opportunity opportunity. Um, behind me, we have our, our hydroponics towers, uh, systems one, two, and three that have been up and going here again this fall, that uh, the kids have been learning hands-on uh, experience with with running a business and selling. They actually sell their produce that they grow here to uh, the lodge here in Murnham, as well as to the Twisted Fork in St. Paul, uh, purchases, has purchased in the past some of their products. Uh, and the Red Brick in Vermilion actually has purchased, uh, we had pounds of basil last year that we had no idea what to do with because our systems were producing so well. So the kids are really taking even even from social studies some idea of of food insecurity and understanding where your food comes from and how to make it more affordable um so you you talk about you know when do you do the learning these projects are the learning and i think that's how we do things differently here is instead of kids sitting at a desk learning taking notes from the teacher and then writing a test we just we just try to do as many things hands on as we can. And I think that it has an impact on the kids and how they learn and their experiences here. 
Yeah, no kidding. I'm so jealous. Uh, I was just like, I was just like, this just seems like the coolest place. Uh, you know, I had an assignment editor early in my television career in every meeting, and he would say, he would say, why do we? We'd pitch stories, and he would say, why do we care? That was always the that was the mission of the storyteller. Why do we care? And uh, and and if you couldn't answer that question through your storytelling, then you'd failed in telling the story. And I feel like this is the exact same approach at New Burnham School. Why should you care about the difference between AC and DC? Why should you care about crop insecurity? Why should you care about all these things? Because this is what it means. You're helping them understand that in such a wonderful way. So, Mr. T, when you win a prime minister's a teaching award for excellence, do you buy the staff lunch? Does the staff buy you lunch? How does it work? Hey, yeah, I, I would like that. Is, yeah. that. is that a thing? Is that a piece of the of the award, like fine print, Mr. T? Uh, well, I've got a lot of payback to do here because uh, it, it's such a, a community effort with this prime minister's award, like there, there's so many um, players involved. It really is a, is a team thing. So I am representing, you know, the, the school and St. Paul education. It, it's an amazing place to work. Like uh, I, I, I'm blessed. It, it's, I can't think of a, a better place on the planet to be. Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's especially cool too. You know, we oftentimes hear of it like, you know, sort of like practicum placements or, 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 you know, ways where you can like make these inroads and connect with, with potential employers and with industry leaders and things like that. And, and oftentimes it seems to me to be reserved for, for grade 12 or even for post-secondary education. And here you've got younger learners than that making these connections and, and it's invaluable. Um, congratulations. I mean, Robert, obviously to you, the, the award winner, but, but as well to the entire school, um, um, and, and I would imagine that that even the principal, Principal Erickson, walks with a bit more swagger in her step with a PM's award winner uh, walking the hallways. So thanks for reaching out, Principal Erickson. Congratulations, Mr. T. It's wonderful to see your smiling face. I, look at me. I'm smiling. I had nothing to do with it, and I'm excited. But congratulations to the both of you, and, and, and thanks for reaching out. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. There you go. Wow. Positive Reflections is presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. Something's telling me that some of these students, these innovators, might end up working for Kubi down the road. They might be taking my job. Yeah, they might Eventually. be taking your job, too. Eventually. <laughs> like in, in 10 years from now. Young you know, tech engineers. <laughs> Damn it. neat, though? That is so cool. Positive <laughs> Reflections is presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. Hey, just a quick shout out as well to our friends at Park Power. We talk oftentimes about the connection between Kubi Energy and Park Power. You know, this time of year, solar is going to function a, a little less than typical. That's no secret. Everybody knows that. But in the spring and summer months, when you've got more sunlight than your own home might need to power itself, uh, Kubi will set up your system wired back into the grid. And that's why you want to be doing business with Park Power. Park Power is going to pay you more than the big guys will for your excess energy production. When you have an efficient system installed by Kubi, Park Power can hook you up literally and make sure that more money stays in your jeans. As your friendly local utilities provider, you bring your business to Park Power with the promo code 2022-REALTALK. They're going to knock 70 bucks off your first bill from parkpower.ca. What a Monday show. We went a little overtime, but I wasn't about to stop any of those conversations. There's no limits There's here. no limits. We can do whatever we <laughs> the want. The tape is gone. As long as the talk is real. And that's thanks to you, our amazing audience. We'll see you again right here on Tuesday on Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, 
Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.